you're a guide, right? But you also do your your own climbing. And I've read some stuff where like you do you're doing your solo stuff and um how is it like athleticism? So when you're when you're on your own, it's a it you're like an athlete, and then you have the tour guides, which kind of like builds your income. Is, is that yeah. the right way to understand it? Well, as you, as you can see, I look more like a like a bin man or somebody. Yeah, I don't. You said that in the email. You're bin man. <laughs> I don't like. There's um. So we have we have we have like different. I think we have this like imagined idea of what what is athleticism yeah and what's like the perfect kind of physique and so i would say when it comes to like adventures um you know like skiing across greenland or going to antarctica or these kind of trips you kind of do you you're often people go with this kind of mentality of looking looking like yourself probably you know mm -hmm. like you need to have a six pack and you need to yeah. have you're like super honed and that, and, that, and that, i think that's a kind of interesting the reality of, is often those kind of people just kind of fall to pieces mm. where the people who so if you took someone who was like a builder or someone who was a painter like often on an expedition they might actually be better than someone who's a professional athlete there's a famous story about someone going to the himalayas with a guy who was a you know well famous marathon runner so you know he was incredibly fit and they arrive at the bit he was czech it was czechoslovakian and they arrived at the base camp and the first day just collapsed on the floor unconscious. Wow. Someone said he was a dud check. So um so the um so so often like like I'm not like a prof I'm not a professional mountain guide. So like I have sort of so I have to be careful to sort of point that out. So most <laughs> of the climbing I've done is 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 by my you know, it's it's like personal kind of climbing. But you often go away with people and you're looking at the you know, if you had like a stat, you'd say like this person is from the Norwegian Special Forces and they can, you know, they can do like, you know, 50 pull ups and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. But but often in the in the real world, if you're extending the, your physical performance over two months, being able to do 50 pull ups is is not is not so good. Maybe it's 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 that concept of skill transfer, right? It's you know, you mentioned the marathon runner. I would imagine that guy being so incredibly fit would do, you know, not, not, not like, like a, a professional who's used to climbing, but he would do, let's say like, you know, well, to a certain degree, or just like, you know, doing, being able to do a lot of pull-ups and then you go climbing and, and you break down. Do, do you think it's, it's physiological or mental both? I, I think often when you're, when you're younger, like I'm, I'm sort of 50 years old now, so when I was younger, I had I had no experience. So you had to have this like physical confidence that you built up. You know, you had to be able to run and do press ups and pull ups mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm, and have mm -hmm. this kind of psychological like I'm I'm like deep down in my heart I know I'm completely incompetent and have no experience, but I have built this physical stuff in the bank that I can fall mm -hmm. back on. And as you get older, as you add in all the elements of life, like children and work and and all these things that, that kind of impede on being able to be really, really physically strong, is you then tend to fall back on on a more mental, like, well, this has happened before. It's, it's a little bit it's like, true. I have a lot of interactions with, um, with the military for some reason. 
and you'll often see some you know some some old some guy who's like a sergeant major or something or some kind of who's been in the military for like 20 years and often they don't look as as fit as some guy who's like 19 but if you mm -hmm. get them you know they have to march like 50 miles or something they have to carry like a big heavy rucksack they have some kind of um this i don't it's not really muscle memory but they just seem to be able to do it because they've done it before where it's a bit like you know if you've if you've done if you've done lots of running and marathons and things the idea of doing a marathon isn't a big deal or or a 10k or whatever but if you've never done it before you'll, you'll probably train to, to an olympic level you know you'll be getting some spreadsheet you know mm -hmm. off the internet and you'll be training for a year where some somebody who has been running all their life they may not have run for 10 years they can literally get off the couch and scrape by you know yeah. you know so it's um it's there's the psychological like you know because that's i think ultimately you always have to ask why you're training like i train like about an average about i train for like an hour every day i don't look like it but i kind of train an hour every day mm. and what, uh, what kind of training and what so i just so set up i get i think all, like for some reason all my life i've i've had some kind of like my father was in the in the military he was like a physical training instructor, mm. which is kind of like a sadist, basically, you know, like, these, you know. <laughs> like full metal jacket, that, that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Professional yeah. sadist. So I can remember <laughs> even, as, even as a child, you know, he would be getting up at five and he'd be getting all these young soldiers and marching them down to the sea and making them swimming in the sea at like six in the morning. And um, so he, so maybe that kind of instilled some awareness of physical physicality in your life from an early age, mm -hmm. but also through through him and through climbing, you met a lot of people who were basically destroyed their they were destroyed you know they destroyed their knees they destroyed their mm -hmm. hips they were they had tendonitis mm -hmm. so I met a lot of young climbers who were just always injured the whole time, and I think I had this this realization because a lot of it was you know if if in the 80s and 90s a lot of it was very unscientific climbing you mm. know people just went they would do you know they would dead hang for like you know five minutes at a time and then they would do lots of pull-ups and then they would um you know they would be on they would be dieting so they'd be trying they'd be anorexic basically mm. and they would eat things like toilet roll you know like you know to, to fill their stomachs up and some cr like crazy stuff if you ever go back <laughs> and read what people were doing it's wow. like no wonder everyone was injured or you know, <laughs> okay. the terrible skin you, you'd see i think often you'll you'll meet people who are like at the very tip of the of the game of like long distance long distance running or athletics or something but if you get close to them you're like you are really really unhealthy physically mm. and mentally yeah. Yeah. you are like uh like i always make this analogy with um like a yacht you know so you've got like a, a yacht with the the classic side of bermuda kind of rig and it's it can go like super super fast but if one component breaks like one cable breaks or one nut comes loose the whole thing collapses and the and nothing happens it's like disaster where if you have some kind of like junk rig like the chinese would have you know you can literally just like rip holes in it and you know it's you still can, going it'll still go it'll go around the world like a thousand times and you, <laughs> yeah. you just get bin bags and so i think like i would i'm more like a junk basically you know, where some people, when they're a really horned athlete, you know, they're plateauing for this trip. But the trip might take, like, you might be there for a month or two months. And there's a lot of time where you can't do any physical exercise. So you start, you know, that's the thing, you start degrading so rapidly. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, um, 
so it's a, so it's, but the, so the so for me like I'll have like a every every day I'll do sort of a session of sort of kind of strength kind of stuff because mm-hmm. I think that the the biggest thing for me was that always stopped me getting an injury but it was never like oh, if I get really strong I'll be able to climb better it's mm-hmm. more like I'll I won't get injured if I'm you know if I'm lifting heavy things up or um, like a lot of mountaineering is about carrying heavy things from yeah. A to B. Yeah, and failing, and then coming, bringing it all back again. So, so uh, how would you, it, how would you um, put the the attributes, the physical attributes that somebody needs to be able to climb or just be able to to sort of survive it, right? How would you say how much is strength? How much is endurance? If we put just the mental game aside, which yeah. I believe it must be a huge part of it, like in so many disciplines or situations. Strength and endurance. How how would you put these two? Um, I think it, mainly it's endurance because you never, you know, you, you, in the film you might be doing like a one arm pull up on a tiny edge. You're know, like Sylvester Stallone or something. Yeah, yeah. But in but in reality, you're generally carrying out very easy movements. But you know, you know, a hundred times, you know, you know, like just 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 over and over again, a thousand times. So say like. Um, El Capitan in Yosemite. Then we've seen solo with Alex Honnold. Mm. You know, when you climb El Capitan, like I've climbed El Capitan, something like 34, 34 times. Like it's this is kind of an obsession of mine. Thirty-four times. So uh, that that's that that's that wall, right? Vertical wall. Yeah. Right. Like nine, you're nine hundred meters high. Nine hundred meters. So for me, as a complete, I, I don't have no clue about it. I just know I know what mountaineering is, just from a very basic standpoint and i know that what that wall looks like so you go on no safety or how do you climb that what's it free climbing or you'd have you'd have so usually it's a mixture of so so you have free solo which is where you have no ropes or anything if you if you fall you die yeah uh, unless you're very lucky and you land on a ledge or something which is not doesn't have very often and you have free climbing which is where you you're just using your hands and your feet and you're jamming your putting your hands in the crack and climbing up. And then there's artificial climbing where when it, when it gets too hard, you might hammer a piton in or there'll be a line of bolts in the rock or something. So, so for generally El Capitan, it's a mixture of, it's a mixture of free climbing and artificial climbing. Um, the, the number of people, like only Alex Honnold's the only person who ever free soloed, you know, El Capitan, which is, you know, which is like, in, insane you know the so just the understanding if, if you if you free solo right free solo el capitan if, if something goes wrong it's done yeah you have you don't have any any uh you know it's like it's one of those things it's an illusion that you think you're all, that you're safe like people are like how could i ever fall off um like the only free soloing i've done is in the alps so you'd climb you know, like a thousand meter ice face. So as you're climbing up it, you've got your, your ice axis. Ice picks, right, yeah. So mm-hmm. you're kind of telling yourself that I'm kind of attached by these two ice axes, um, you know, but, but, you know, like a big piece of ice can come down and knock you on the head or whatever. So it's, uh, but in the Alps, the biggest thing is a crevasse. So, so the climbing isn't the most dangerous thing. It's that when you're coming down at the end, you just fall down a crevasse. So the crevasse doesn't care how skilled you are. It's just, <laughs> It's just how heavy you are. It's how heavy you are. So you get you get people wow. who like will do the most incredible free solo ascent of a mountain, 
but then they'll be gibbering, like climbing down on all fours, you know, across the glacier, afraid they're going to fall in a crevasse. Or... Wow. But, but the, the le- I think the, the, the physical, mental, the level of, um, of mastery, you know, of your mm. mind and your body and your mm. stamina is, is unbelievable. So, so someone like Alex Honnold would, would basically be moving towards that goal over its entire life, really. You know, you, you're plateauing at this, on this, for these few hours on this one day, you know, 20 years into the future. You know, like everything he is doing is building up to that, that climb. It's mm-hmm. like really, you know, because it's not like the Olympics. It's not like, you know, I just got a silver medal, you know, or, or, or I came last. It's like you're, you're dead. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's like really... it's, yeah, it's so hard to imagine for somebody like me, you know, who's just uh, if I jump off a ledge, I'm already scared. Not not scared in the <laughs> sense of you know uh, being scared uh, in a general sense, but I I don't like to put my body in in any type of danger that I can just avoid by not engaging in it. Yeah, so yeah. when I when I see people like you, and when I study folks like you, uh, I mean. Uh, uh, I have um, been friends with uh, Felix Baumgartner, who jumped oh, yeah. off, right, off, the, off of space with Rebel Stratus, and I was there, so uh, in in Roswell at the time, and, and and for me it was, it was so hard to imagine, right, because when when you're always playing it safe on a physical level, right, yeah. and if if you see somebody do it, the amount of astonishment and the respect is just. Because it's like, wow, it's a life, it's life or death. Huh? So it, it means so much to you. And even in your situation, if you climbed, climbed the, the El Capitan 34 times, which, wow, how many times have you experienced this near life and death situation? In, in, um, in well, there's a, you know, there's this thing where you, there's, there's like, you know, how many times did you think you were going to die? Yeah. And then there's how many times did you know you were going to die? That's the... <laughs> and, and there, there is that there is there is that there is a point because i was thinking about this recently cause someone asked me about fear like what is fear you know i had to describe fear and i was saying that it's very there's a there's a, there's a point between um anxiety extreme anxiety and fear like mm-hmm. if i told you to dismantle this bomb you know here's a here's mm-hmm. a leatherman tool and a screwdriver i want you to get in there and start dismantling this bomb <laughs> if you don't i'm going to kill you you know that would be anxiety anxiety yeah. extreme anxiety mm-hmm. and generally so so there's a i have this story about um uh like i've, I've had a lot of interactions with wild animals for some reason like travel like climbing in like africa and places and i once had this thing with a baboon where i was kind of mm-hmm. I was going to fight a baboon and we were climbing this mountain and this baboon basically it was freaking out when we were like a long way down and instead of just going away for some reason you know like five percent of all crime is committed by five percent no you know 50 percent of all crime is committed by five percent of criminals and there's this mm. there's some, some relationship with animals like you just have to avoid that five percent of animals which are just crazy. You know, just <laughs> yeah. Even in the animal thing. kingdom, they're like, these are the, they're the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah. The very same with like weight training. It's, you know, it's, there's, you know, 8% of people don't do it and 20% do and the 5%, that 20% are probably doing it to like some crazy kind of level. Yeah, to extent, yeah. So, so this baboon started, um, as we were traversing across to get to the summit, this baboon started throwing rocks down. Really? Yeah, like, like just crazy, but, 
they were, you know, the rocks are coming down, and you were just kind of like, the thing is, I never, we never thought like, why don't we go back? Why don't we turn around? Because that's your your climber's mentality is like, I'm going to the top, like I'm yeah. not going to. So, it, so you're getting you're getting closer to this baboon, and the baboon's coming and getting closer to us as we're getting towards the where we're going to meet. And in your mind, you're thinking like, what do I know about baboons? Like, I know that like one of the people had a face transplant, you know, because they had the face pulled off by a baboon. Like, you know, so you so they're you're so really... serious. Wait, wait I, g give me a second. I just gotta because I have this picture of baboon in my mind, but I have a, I gotta, I gotta you're see what. <laughs> ah oh 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 these are ah mon it, it's it, what is it, mo monkeys right but yeah it's like a it's like a they're kind of like this they're kind of like a medium-sized monkey yeah with, oh, like but a, they got these huge teeth that just yeah. checked them oh my god yeah wow so, so in so that is kind of um there's anxiety mm -hmm. like i'm not af I, like am i afraid i'm do i think I'm, there, there is like i could get killed here like this because uh, with my wife as well Wow. So my wife is kind of pushing me forward, you know, as in you're the, you know, all all the kind of gender, you know, equality goes out the window. It's like you're thirty percent stronger than me. You have to fight. The, you got to do it so all of the way. Let's <laughs> <laughs> it together. But um, yeah, you're thinking in your head like, what do I know about baboons? Like, I know like if a Rottweiler attacks you, like what you should, you know, things mm -hmm. you can try and do. Or mm -hmm. but um, but eventually we get to the, we get to the top. And I just, the thing about animals is, like all animals, um, there's a, a negative is that it's very hard for to kill something of, of the same species. So if we if we knew you wanted to have a fight, mm -hmm. neither of us really want to kill each other because mm -hmm. we're the same species. Oh. That, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not the same. So, so it's easier to kill a dog than it is, or a dog to kill you than, than, than whatever. Mm. But at the same time, animals, they're all bluster same as human beings if you go on a saturday night and there's some guy like oh do you want to have a fight with me a lot of it's like bluster and they're trying they're trying to kind of intimidate you yeah to demonstrate that they're they're in control mm -hmm. so all you have to do is just you know when you see the baboon you just have to really scare it and make it know that if you if you try and attack me mm. you may be able to kill me but i might i might poke your eye out or i might break your arm. <laughs> yeah. so, wow. and that, so so there is there is the fear kind of comes afterwards, so so when once you once you're about to engage in fighting a baboon or fighting or whatever, in, in, if you're in an avalanche or whatever, there is no room for fear because that's the moment where your you you know fear is going to kill you because you have to really focus on what you're doing, mm. and the fear kind of comes afterwards, like when you're in the tent and you're like, like what if that you know, what if the boom had rabies or something, or what if it, Yeah. you know, like what? what so what? so if, I, if, if, if I understand it, uh, and you can correct me in this, um, you consider anxiety something that is, that happens naturally, something that maybe, you know, fighting it is, uh, you know, with the example with the bomb thing, right? Yeah. So that's something that comes naturally, but fear may be something where we might have some kind of control, right? So in that moment when you engage the baboon, it was like, okay, it's, I got to settle down. Yeah, you, you, and, you go really, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had a fight with anybody, but if you, mm -hmm. the, um, you know, things kind of start to slow down. And when like, the adrenaline leaves, yeah. yeah. So they get the I mean, rush. If, mm -hmm. if you're walking, if you're walking through the savannah and you're hunting a leopard, um, you're in a completely different zone 
from you going for a walk and a leopard jumps on your back. Um, mm-hmm. So, so there's this. So, in mountaineering and climbing, it's this. People always think you're an adrenaline junkie, but you're not. You know, you know. So, same as your friend jumping out, jumping from the edge of space. Like he is such. He is everything is. You know, everything that can be controlled is controlled. He's like a master of that situation, and he he may have some anxiety, but it's the point where it's like, what's the point of worrying about it? You know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm either gonna. Is either going to die or not? You know, it, it does. It does get to the point where it's meaningless, and that's you're just going to waste your computer computing power of your brain mm-hmm. to to kind of dwell on it. So, so I think what often people do, they 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 have this anxiety. So the anxiety when you feel it is more like a heads up. This is this is time to concentrate. Sharp, on yeah. You got to be but, sharp. But people yeah. have so much anxiety. So I, I went to live in the Middle East. And everyone was like, oh, my God, you're going to get your head chopped off. You know, like, yeah, all these crazy, crazy people. And I was like, it's the most safest place you would ever go in your life. You know, you can mm-hmm. leave your laptop on a table and, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like the safest place in the world. I mean, all these Oman and Saudi Arabia and this kind of stuff. But we have this anxiety of like, oh, if I went there, you know, so so it's, it's often it's, again, the thing about experience, the more you do these things. So you had to fight a baboon a second time. You know? I was just not yeah. making a lot more noise. You know, yeah. Before yeah. Up there and, it's. Uh, I think you're building. You're building some sort of resilience through experience, right? It's. It's uh, understanding the situation, and the more you do it, the more accustomed you get to it. And you know, I've talked to uh, MMA coaches, and they always say it's the it's the folks who are the the with the most control, not, not the most aggressive ones. It's the, yeah. it's the guys who are incredibly controlled and, and composed. So it's kind of like the same with mountaineering to a certain degree. Am, am I right? Yeah. If you, if you, if you allow your ego to get in there too much, you, know, you, you when you climb with people who aren't, aren't climbers, they definitely get that, um, summit fever, you know, where they're literally mm-hmm. dragging themselves to the summit and you're like, look, we have to go all the way back down again. Like you, you're, you're going to use a hundred percent of your energy just to get to the top. And then what are we going to do? You know? So, um, so there, there is that kind of, um, that kind of element of understanding your, you know, the, ex- the experience of, so an MMA fighter, you know, how many fights would you have in your life? Um, I guess at the beginning, you know, if you say you go to judo and you're standing there on your first day and the guy's like, come out here and like, you know, this guy's going to kick the shit out of you. Um, you know, you're kind of really terrified. Mm-hmm. What's that famous thing where someone said, I'm really afraid of being punched in the face. And the grandmother was like, come here. And she punched him in the face. And she's like, how does that feel? And I said, oh, it wasn't too bad. He said, well, there you, there you go. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I also like also like Mike Tyson's uh, statement I like, where he says, everybody everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, it, yeah. It's another thing. Yeah, just a side note. But yeah, I get I get what you're saying. It's, it's, it's a complete different um uh um perspective i you know the beautiful thing is on 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 the weekend uh we were just working with two guys from our local law enforcement uh school and uh we 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 had set up this idea of tech tactical kettlebell we called it where you have uh, firearms combined with kettlebell training but just in short bursts some drills to simulate uh, physical stress when you need it in when you're engaging and you know, when I grab a kettlebell, it, it, it is so it, it's so easy because it's thousands of reps 
engaged in it. Even when I grab the 48 kilogram kettlebell or when people watch us and say, oh, I, the way you do snatches, for me, it's so, it, it's now instilled. Yeah. But on the weekend, it was the first time I shot a gun. So uh, the, the, my friend was handing me an AR-15 yeah. and then a Glock. So first time for me shooting, and I was kind of like a little bit nervous, <laughs> but, and then boom, the first one, I was like, wow. So it's done. So the first, because you don't, want, don't know what to expect. And then the follow-up shots, you know, I felt like I was in Battlefield or something, you know. Well, it was really, then it, 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 that fun came up, right? It was, wow, that, I, I like it. So it's that beautiful thing of um, mastering one thing and then being a complete student oh, yeah. in the other area, right? I think, that, I think that's, you know, often, say if you were like amazing at kettlebells, you, you know, you could do everything and you'd, you know, you, you were a real master. And someone said, I want you to, you know, why don't we go and do kayaking? You know, and you, there's, there's part of people like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable here doing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. doing this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But generally, I think when you do, when you do cross sports, you, you, there's always something really important to learn in what yeah. you do. Um, yeah. And you bring it, you know, you yeah. bring it, like, I think for, for me, it's like never to be too extreme. You know, so if, if I do any <laughs> that comes one. that comes from you, from somebody who climbed uh, El Capitan thirty-four times. I love it. Look at, I guess, Don't be I too extreme. Yeah. I guess it's like never, never get too, never believe your own myth in a way. Because that's the mm, thing. You know, like, mm. like my daughter has started to get into training, going to the gym and doing training. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're in this phase of your life where you should never try and show off. You know, you'll go there and you'll try and do like a, you know. A, you know, 150 kilo deadlift, you only weigh like 70 kilos, you know, you think you can do it and then you'll just rip your, you know, your ribs <laughs> yeah, off. Your ribs off. So, you yeah. know, that's the classic thing with skiing, isn't it? When you're skiing and you start thinking you're getting good and you just wipe out because you always have to keep that mentality of like, I'm an incompetent, weak fool here, you know, like don't, you know. Do, do you... Uh, and uh, but that that's such a, such a great segue, and I'd like to get your take on this. How how do you consider yourself at climbing? What is your? <laughs> I mean, you're professional. I, I know this, but how do you engage when when you engage even in territory that you're already used to, like El Capitano or whatever? How do you engage in it? I I always I always think of myself kind of kind of novice mentality wow. because often you'll you'll go with somebody and they'll be the classic thing is in america and americans are really bad at this you know you'll go to the campsite and you'll you'll be looking for someone to go and climb with and this guy hey man i'm a i've done this i've done this and i'm a, i'm blah they'll be telling you how amazing they are and then you'll get to the bottom of the route and they'll just be like oh god i didn't realize it was you know like <laughs> it, was that. it was you know? there <laughs> yeah. so, um, you know where yeah. someone who do, who's very you know doesn't want to you know, I'm, I'm terrible, I'm blah, 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 blah. They've kind of, they kind of, uh, you have a lot more room, basically. Like I'm in comp, you know, especially when you're soloing, no one can see you. So you might be on a wall for like 10 days, you know, 15 days. So if you, you can't bullshit yourself, you know, if you're mm -hmm. dropping equipment or making mistakes, mm -hmm. there's no one to like look around to like, you just have to kind of take ownership of it. Yep. And then you've got to, you've mm -hmm. got to think like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this incredibly complex thing over mm -hmm. multiple days or multiple weeks. I am going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, this is not a film. You know, this is not a, you know, mm -hmm. this is, 
this is the real this is the real world mm -hmm. so you just have to kind of ac accept it um like, and i think in most things like i've written lots of books so i've like books in switzerland you know translated into swiss and, and this kind of thing but i still think of myself as as this kid who was like remedial you know couldn't spell couldn't you know doing this kind of stuff <laughs> i love this so it's it's that humble mindset right i just... don't know if it's humble but it's that once you start thinking like oh, i'm a great writer i've won i've won like awards for writing you've turned up there i won this award in venice for this translation of a book into italian you turn up there and everyone is wearing a suit and there's these old guys who are like mm -hmm. academics who won awards mm -hmm. as well and they're all like mm -hmm. hey, hey, that, that. and they're really like passionate yeah you're yep. standing there just you're just in your jeans and your t-shirt <laughs> i love it and, you know and I it's, love um, it. you're like i'm a but then most people if you talk to people you know high up in the in whatever game they're doing they always feel like they're you know really someone's going to find out one of these days like i don't <laughs> someone's going to find out that i don't know anything right <laughs> oh i love it but, but you, yeah you're, but you're trying to mm. like it's hard for you because you're everyone is looking at you you know mm -hmm. so if you make a mistake people will say oh you only did you did nine swings you didn't mm -hmm. do 10 swings you know, mm -hmm. what, you know and mm -hmm. oh, oh you're you're not twisting your arm mm -hmm. you know like this mm -hmm. other guy in this other video mm -hmm. so so the the world of, of like social media and youtube is really really tough you know because if you're on mm -hmm. a big wall no one can see you yep. when you come down everyone's like oh my god that's like amazing what you've just done blah 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 but they didn't see but often you'd be up there by yourself because you don't feel confident confident enough to go with somebody else if you know what i mean ah, it's kind of i like it Ah, so you, you might sail around the world because you're a terrible sailor, you know, <laughs> by yourself. You, you, you sail around the world by yourself because you're a terrible sailor. And you don't want nobody to find out, right? <laughs> that's that's why you do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, what, what I like about YouTube, since you're bringing it up, and I have some questions about your books as well. Um, but um, the, the idea of YouTube, you know, um, I started creating this philosophy where I can't get hurt in, in a certain sense, where I uh, obviously and, and publicly say, you know, my, my findings, my ideas, my, my philosophies, I throw it in the marketplace of ideas. And true science um, has, has, it's the foundation of true science is let's prove our thesis wrong. Yeah. And that's what I like. It's, it's the ideas. We have something that we believe is solid, but let's throw it out there and let's have other people prove us wrong. So if you have a lot of experts go over your thesis or over your idea, and it's maybe not wrong, but they can add to it. But, but even the experts agree that there's merit to your idea, then I believe it's solid. And if somebody comes up and finds fault, I, I'm, not, I'm not hurt. Because then I'm like, oh, you have seen, and this happened countless times in the YouTube comment section where people were saying something where I was like, I didn't see this. Because sometimes as a coach, or maybe you know this as an expert, sometimes you don't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And then you have somebody else saying something and you're like, oh, wow, that's enlightening. Well, I never yeah. thought about it. Yeah, you have to be, it can never be like defensive. As yeah. in, like often, like I'm not a mountaineering, I'm not an instructor. Um, so I've I've, I wrote a book recently that's about 300,000 words. So it's like this huge Bible. Wow. All it is is about how not to die when you're rappelling from a mountain. So I had so many friends die abseiling. You know, mm -hmm. amazing climbers, they abseiled off the end of the rope. You know, all these kind of stupid mistakes. 
So I thought, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to write this book. And at the beginning of the book, it says, I am not a mountain guide. I'm not a mountaining instructor. I have no qualifications. This is based on my experience over, you know, I started climbing when I was five years old. So this is my my life experience. I'm going to pass mm -hmm. on to you. Mm -hmm. But but don't believe any, you know, just don't, it's just my, my, my uh, ideas and experiences. So someone else would say, well, this is technically not right or, you know, this knot is not how I would, you know, recommend or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you're kind of disclaiming at the beginning, like, just take this. Yeah. This is not science. If yeah. all the experts in the world can't agree on what is the best knot to tie two ropes together, you know, then then there isn't there isn't a way to do it. Are they cannot? Are they cannot? So it, there isn't just a side note. There isn't a scientific way to say this is the best knot that you well, can there do. Is, but there's, but, but, so you'll get a, some guy in Chamonix, you know, at the, at the University of Mountaineering and they'll put it on this machine and they'll, 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 they'll break it. And it's like, and they'll, oh, that's a great knot. Then someone else will be using it and the rope's all icy and wet and uh, the knot will just come undone. So, um, wow. so people will say, well, this, my friend did this and it didn't work. And someone will say, well, but these guys, they're the experts. They said it does work. So it's the same with with training. It's you know, you know, one guy would be saying this is the way to do it, and some guy, well, I do, you know, I do like, so often I'll do like, um, uh, ten sets of ten, um, mm -hmm. you know. So I think you do you do three sets of three, five sets of five, or ten sets of ten. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll do, you know, um, thirty sets of ten. Like I'll just I'll just go and and for every every minute I'll do like ten you know, 32 kilo kettlebell swings. And like, technically, maybe that, that that's not really going to do anything. But it but it feels very it feels tiring enough. You know, if you've only got like, like I've got like a, a, you know, I've got a young, I've got like three kids, I've got one at the moment who's only a year old, so 50 mm. years old. Mm, that's yeah, bad, that's bad enough. Oh, so yeah. You get to half <laughs> six in the morning. So I, you know, go, go down, I'll just do like, I'll have maybe, you know, like 40 minutes to do some training. And all I want to do is go into my shed and um, just come out a, a bit more tired than I went in there. Mm -hmm. So I'm not. If I was being scientific, I'll be. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd really program it and have like do deadlifts on one day and all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But generally, for me at my age, I just go in there and I'll do. What's the um, the armor builder? You know the, um, the uh, armor building complex by yeah. uh, Dan John. It's I'll just do like thir thirty of those. And uh, or thirty, so it's very kind of unscientific. But it's, in my mind, it's just that um, there isn't really an end goal. It's just to do something physical. Yeah. And then I'll generally then push my my son on. I'll take him for like an hour, like ten k walk, like pushing his pram. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. So, but I, no that... I noticed during the lockdown because when he was born, um, I used to take him for I used to ten k with him in the morning. He would sleep in the pram. He's never slept in the house. And then I would go for a walk in the afternoon with my wife with him. And then I would do another walk in the evening before he went, you know, for his evening walk, which is probably another 7K. So I was doing about sort of 25 to 30K mm -hmm. every well, day. That's gr this great. So big I numbers. I wasn't doing any, any, any strength training. And what happened was I lost about, I lost about seven or eight kilos in wow. weight. But all, it, but all of it was muscle. Like my wife was like, where have your legs gone? You know, and and I think that's, you know, the classic um, Mark Ripetoe, you know, hates running. And that was when I, that's that's when I kind of realized that 
yes, you can get really, you know, technically you can lose loads of weight and you can imagine you're fit. But I, um, I lost all this weight. And one day there was a kettlebell on the ground. I thought, oh, I'll do some swings. I did about five swings. And then my ass was like, the next day, I was like, <laughs> so you, you, often, you often take your, 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 your strength for granted because it's been mm. there forever, you know. Mm. And mm. as you get, if you have like, you know, even if you don't do any training for a long time, you have this skill, don't you? You can, you know how to set the bar up to do a deadlift or whatever. Mm. Mm. So you can, you can, you can actually move quite a lot of weight just through the skill of it. And uh, so that really made me realize that often we take things for granted, especially if you're taking someone, the same with climbing or instructing someone, you know, you just say, pick up this kettlebell and do some kettlebell swings. And they're like, you know, what's that? And you're like, yeah, well, just put this near your shin. And like, what's uh, the chin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this was also a humbling experience on the weekend, but not, not a bad one. I, I, I liked it. When, when the first time holding a Glock and then, I mean, first time holding an AR-15, which when you hold it up, it gets pretty heavy on your arm. And you're like, whoa. And he's still giving you instructions. You're like, okay, I tried it. Okay. And you have live ammo. So it's like, oh, I can kill someone. I got to be very careful. So it's the same idea that in, in those situations, you, you just need the absolute basics that, that, that work. And I think in, in your case as well, I would say from our experience that most people need the basics. Yeah. Because the basics work no matter what your goal is. And then maybe um, if you take it to a more elaborate approach where it's like, okay, I want to build this, I want to build that, or uh, I just want to uh, get, get some strength back in my legs, I want to focus on my legs because I have a huge, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, climbing going on in the next few months or something. Then, uh, okay, maybe your system gets a little bit more elaborate, but it's still built on the basics. And maybe, and that's my question to you is, you know, I've heard it in the kettlebell world and I've seen it. It's, it's the basics work the best. Yeah. I've heard it in the MMA world that the basics work the best. I've heard it in athletes and strength in, in so many areas. So now I wonder in your case, mountaineering, what, what does somebody has to have aside from the physical fitness and, and you know, the skills and, and do you think they, they are very complex or do you think if you stick to the basics and you get them right, you'll go far? I guess it's just like, it's just walking upstairs, walking downstairs. <laughs> I often just say that like climbing Everest isn't climbing, that's walking. Uh, if there's any climbing involved, there's like a ladder there or, you know, there's, it's walking. there's some rope you can pull up. So, because um, on, on Everest, you'll have like dead bodies just laid on the ground, where if it was climbing, the bodies, you know, bodies. You wouldn't see the them. So, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but yeah, it's like here, like I, so I live in the west coast of Ireland and, you know, you'll go up on the hills here. The hills here are very remote and wild. There's no tracks or anything. It's not like Switzerland. And you'll just see, if you maybe in the middle of nowhere, and you'll just see a farmer up there and he'll have his jeans on. He'll have his Wellington boots on, you know, like a, a, a T-shirt or something. And it's lashing with rain. And you've got your Gore-Tex and your, all your high-tech gear on. And that guy is just in, is so in his element. And I think wow. that's probably the same, you know, whether you're skiing or whatever you're doing, if you feel comfortable in your, in your element, when you mm. said to that farmer, let's go and mm. climb up this, you know, this overhanging rock route, or let's, you know, do something else. He wouldn't want to do it because he would start knowing that's not his element. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, it's interesting to say about complexity. 
is we are like I'm in the business, the, the same kind of business as you in the you could say, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this thing. It's going to stop you from dying, abseiling. And instead of writing it over, you know, 300,000 words, I'll do it in I'll do it in a, a thousand words or even 500 mm -hmm. words. Mm -hmm. And this is basically all you need to understand mm -hmm. how you're not in the end of the ropes when you're abseiling. Use a backup in case your your hand lets go of the rope. Oh, you know, use a backup in your anchor in case the anchor breaks. You've got a backup. Mm -hmm. That last person takes it out, they come down. All these so very very mm -hmm. simple things, but you know you're not going to make a living just just producing yeah. <laughs> you know, a book with like. So um, <laughs> so I think it's the same with you. You could do a one, a single kettlebell video. Maybe you could do one for the five main exercises or whatever, mm -hmm. and. But then you're like, what am I going to do now? Because yeah, people, you're done. You yeah. Know, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're done. It's okay. If you're watching that guy's video, it's like, just do that. And then when you mastered it, just just stop, just stop watching YouTube. And um, But we like, I think we do like to, it's, it's a very kind of human thing. We like to really go into it. We want to know the backstory. Of yeah. What you know, so these guys who do, I've met a few of these, um, I've done some like TV, TV kind of stuff, film stuff. You know, this this actor person turns up and they're like, oh, I've been with this this personal trainer for like six months. He's been training me to be prepared for this uh, this climb, you know, this TV film mm -hmm. climb. Mm -hmm. And they're just you're like, what have you been doing? Like, you can't even just, you know, you can't. You but let, if, if I may, if I may chime in, you know, uh, because that's what people sometimes say. They say, OK, we've had this as well, not climbing, but hey, I want to run 5K. I want to I want to do this. I want to do that. And then they come see us and then we help them, especially with kettlebells, you know, to 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 prepare because the kettlebell is such a huge skill transfer yeah. in so many different areas. So but in that case, you're saying, what are you doing? What What do you think he was doing something wrong or he was think, he wasn't they make it too comp They don't want to just say, right, I want you to run every every two days. I want you to go for a run and I want you to build this up very, very slowly. You know, they're going to be like throwing in. I want, I want you to put a kettlebell on your head and I want you, want to balance one on your toe. And I want you to do these like one legged squats while, yeah. you know, like, with a feather in your hand or something for, for <laughs> yes. balance. You know, yeah, people feel like they're getting good value for money because mm -hmm. but really it it could be you know it's, it's it should be quite simple you know yeah. if you've just got mm -hmm. these compound exercises um you know you know the classic one is like i'm just going to give you a wheelbarrow full of bricks and i want you to go up this hill every day every morning yeah just and... go up the hill with that wheelbarrow you won't be able to get very far on day one you might have you know but and every now and again, I'm going to come in. I'm going to put some more bricks in that wheelbarrow. I love it. On the, on, on the second month, I've got this massive pile of soil. I want I want this moving from there into the wheelbarrow, and I want you to go and take it over there. And then after another month, I'm going to I want you to build a dry stone wall with these big blocks. And within like a few months, this person would be like, I've not done any strength training. But I feel so strong. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And you know, that's that's even where the stuff comes from. You know, a, a prowler sled that we have yeah. in the gym, uh, where you push a, a heavy sled, or farmers walks. I mean, farmers walk. So it's f it comes stuff, from how farmers carry stuff, right? It's and stuff so people want to avoid. I think I think like kettlebells is a, is like a martial art. It's not it's yeah. not really strength training. And you know, if you, if you do a, when you do like a kata or whatever. It's a similar kind of thing, and and I think it's the it's the exercises which aren't a martial art. You know, so someone's like, you know, like I guess like 
fight just fighting MMA isn't a martial art. It's like get on the mm-hmm. floor and just roll around with this guy. You know, it could be in a pub car park or something. <laughs> yeah. But you don't want to. It's that. It's like oh, I don't want to push that sledge. I don't want to carry that sandbag around because it's actually quite hard work. Yeah, so, so- that, yeah, that's that's actually what it sometimes boils down to is that people, um, you know, see these. Um, we call them low-tech exercises, which don't require a lot of skill to do, but they give you so much bang for your buck. Yeah. But they're hard. But, you know, hard is also something that uh, I love it when you say that kettlebells are like a martial art because that's where I have kind of uh, drawn back my usual intensity of thinking that you always have to go balls to the walls until I've got uh, some uh, great coaching where uh, one of my friends told me, he said, listen, you got to treat the kettlebell like a martial art and and think about practice not about just working out think about when you grab the kettlebell you want to practice and sweating and moving and building muscle and all these beautiful aspects are a side product of your practice it's like making making money like you want to make money doing something that you would do for free you know that you know someone would pay you to do yeah Exactly. I mean, you, know, you would pay to do that's it. You, you know, say so if you would pay to do something, and but yet someone's paying you to do it instead. That's like, but it, when people try and make money, that's all they want to do is make money. They generally fail because that's their only. They're just thinking about yeah. Money. And so if that's you just want to get yeah. strong. That's the gonna... that's the yeah. It's exactly the same with thinking that I need to burn when it comes to training. I I'm I'm not training. I don't care whether it's a kettlebell, a dumbbell, or a barbell. I just want to. I chase the burn, yeah. and this chasing the burn mentality can sometimes really burn people up. That yeah, that, that's what it is. And and you know, I even talked to uh, kettlebell champions. Uh, one one of them was Brittany French Ravendike, and she said, you know, I probably I cannot go back in time. But I believe that probably I would have fared at the same level in my championships. She won multiple championships. I would have probably reached that same summit of a level of success with less volume. Yeah. I was just really almost destroying myself. Another, another thing I've noticed is often people perform at their best when they're at their worst. Like mm. they, they have this idea that I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have this perfect you know nutrition hydration i'm gonna have this sleep stay in this five-star hotel and mm-hmm. everything's gonna mm-hmm. what happens is you lose your bag of all your gear and then the hotel is fully booked up and then there's yeah. some, some, what someone playing, you know music next door and you can't sleep and you're yeah. anxious and you'll you'll turn up and you've not slept all night yeah yeah it's performed like really really well and it's mm-hmm. a weird um a weird like because you, you see that in climbing and that's you may you know you're the classic thing I once I once climbed El Capitan with a friend who was blind wow. and he basically he was like losing his sight rapidly he ended up going to the Rio in the Paralympics and he won a wow. gold medal in Rio in like sight um, on a tandem bike but this wow. was before that and he was he was a mountain guide and he was he basically got to about 15 percent uh, vision Oof. and so I was like oh you better go and solo El Capitan before you're completely blind so we went out there and um for him to solo El Capitan, even though he could only see like looking down a straw. But we decided we would go and climb El Cap together to kind of give him a heads up what it was about. And we slept, we went up in the evening, the idea is to climb in a, in a day, in a single day. We slept, we had you know, like a sleeping mat, you know, that you sleep on. We just had one sleeping mat, we cut it in half and we both slept on one side. And we, we you know, at 10 o'clock we went to sleep 
and we end up being on an ant's nest and all these ants started coming out and all night long instead of just getting up and going somewhere else we just kind of like huffed and hawed then the alarm went off at like three in the morning and uh, basically we have to get to the summit by 3 a.m the following morning after in 24 hours and steve was steve was just uh well that's it we'll just just go back to sleep you know we're not going to be we're not going to be doing it now you know we've not slept We've been mm-hmm. stung by ants, you know. This mm-hmm. is this is the worst, worst, worst start. <laughs> so I just like got up and started packing. I'm like, right, let's go. And uh, and we <laughs> we didn't quite get to the top in 24 hours, but we got very close to it. And because um, we're just like so tired towards the top. But you know, but someone, I think in my experience, often people, you know, the it's not just that one night you didn't sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you've had you've your whole life you've been resting in a way. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? You've got a lot of stuff in the bank mm-hmm. and people can perform, you know, I think I wanted to climb where I, we were awake for like 36 hours. And, um, you know, I think I went deaf in one ear at the end of the climb. Cause I was, I just pushed my body over 14 wow. days. And right at the end, we had to, we had to get to the top and get back down again in, in a, in a huge, you know, and, um, but everyone performed amazingly, you know, cause you know, you, you, it's just a mixture. Mm, mm. I think you see that you see that definitely in you know you know people fighting in wars and things like my brothers yeah. uh, in the military mm. and you know the, people people can go for weeks with like 15 minutes sleep every four hours you know they can somehow you know operate to, to and then they start going crazy and that's... yeah and and then of course you need to you know it's it's just the same it just falls into my um, pops into my mind because uh, my brother had a serious accident two weeks ago and that put me automatically in uh in 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 focus mode at first it was crisis mode then it was crying mode then it was uh then it was you know uncertainty mode (laughs) all modes together and uh right before you um last week i had a conversation with funk roberts and funk roberts is one of the ogs in kettlebell training and i love what he said he he said you know you now just gotta be you gotta wear your superhero cape man yeah, yeah. You you got to be strong for the family, so so you have to perform, and and it, it it works out. You know, thank God my my brother survived, and you know, still somewhat critical, but improvement since then. But I took all you know, I take the calls from the doctors, take a lot, of, take the load off my my mother and my father, and and it's somehow when I realized when this all happened, I was such I, I was it, it I went almost nuts. But yeah. then, after times, after time passed and and, and the, the shock subsided, it was like okay, now it's just like it's just like working with people or working with your business. You've been uh, self-employed for five years. How are we going to solve this? Yeah. So we started taking it step by step, and that's what we're doing now, right? So yeah. it's it's and and I love what you said. It's the stuff that you've put in the bank, and that's what even Funk Roberts said. He yeah. said, you know, you've put a lot of, you, had a, you have a lot of money in the bank. You've taken care of your body. And he said, imagine if you got to take care of your family now or be, be somewhat a, a, a leader of the household of your, of your family um, to a certain degree. And imagine you have joint pain. Yeah. Imagine your eating habits are off. Imagine you're, you, you are a, a construction work yourself. How yeah. can you provide for others? So, yeah, just spinning it a little further than I wanted to. But I love yeah, this. I think- yeah, I think, this, being, I, think, yeah. I think like I have this I have this thing, we live in a world where there's a real cachet for being weak in a way. 
Yeah. Showing your vulnerability and blah blah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, I was really dyslexic when I was at school. I only found out when I was nineteen. And for like years, I would go through um, telling people like, "Oh, I can't, I can't write, or I can't spell because I'm dyslexic." And blah, you know, it was just this thing about being dyslexic. And it was only when my son they said he had ADHD and they wanted to give him Ritalin and all this kind of stuff, which I just didn't agree with, that I realized that it's actually it's not. You should just like my mother always said I wasn't dyslexic. I was just lazy. <laughs> I love it. And I think, and, but really, she's kind of true because it's true because I, you know, I make a living writing books. So how dyslexic? Like apparently, I'm like off the scale dyslexia. Yeah, I'm really terrible. But um, wow. But it's it doesn't do you any good. So any so so this thing about everyone demonstrating how vulnerable they are and talking about their feelings and their emotions. And this is a very this is very. Um, uh, heterodox view mm -hmm. but I can see with my kids is my kids want a dad who is not like crying and talking about how mm -hmm. how stressed he is and they just want mm -hmm. this person in their life mm -hmm. who is like this old school you know James mm -hmm. Cagney Robert mm -hmm. Mitchum you know kind of mm -hmm. you know solid person yeah. and you have all this stuff to deal with in your life is you know you it's like life is full of um, traumas and disasters mm -hmm. and everything else but really, you just, I think we've kind of lost sight. Do you know when you go to Africa, you know, you'll say to people, you'll say like, oh, what's the mental health like in like Ghana? And they'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, you're like, <laughs> mental health issues, like mental health issues, you know. I have no time for this. I have no time. You know, and, it's, and it's just all that, all wow. that stuff. You know, wow. I, have to, I always have this joke where we're in Namibia and this, this little girl came over and um, this village and she like, so my wife is Irish, got this like crazy hair, like a like a bog or something. You know, it's like crazy. Mm -hmm. And this 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 little child started pulling at her hair, and I was like, "Oh, you shouldn't do that. That's racist." Touching someone's hair. <laughs> and um, yeah. you know, but, but this find it this find it hilarious. You know, yeah. this idea like I'm just touching your hair, and I think you know all these all these things we uh, we kind of weigh ourselves down. Don't we with all this mm -hmm. stuff that's, and it's only when you have something like that like your brother's accident mm -hmm. where you realize that none of that really matters that this is the moment where you have to be a, be a grown-up mm -hmm. you have to be like you know i remember what mm -hmm. yeah i remember once when i got i've been married twice first time i got married mm -hmm. uh, we had this 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 wedding thing in this this top stair top room of this pool hall it was like very very cruddy kind of grim place and everyone got completely drunk my mother everybody was just it was like sodom and gomorrah oh. and i was completely <laughs> sober for some reason okay at midnight the lights come on and the bouncers came in they're like come on everybody get out come on clear clear all this stuff away and i went up to my mum and was like mum mum what we're we gonna do she's like i don't know and i realized in that moment like i was the only adult in the whole place and i'd have to sort it all out and i remember you have to, it, it, that was it, the yeah. moment where you know I'm, I'm a married man now i'm not a child I have to be responsible. You got, yeah. And yeah, take care of it yourself. I don't know. You, you, you got to decide. You got to make a call. And, and even though, you know, sometimes there is a place, and even Funk said, you know, there is a place to take care of, of when, when you're going in full-blown superhero mode, there is a place where you got to go back into your cave and maybe, you know, regenerate or rejuvenate or maybe take care of your mental health or your emotional intelligence or, or whatever, your, your, your social life, or maybe um, talk to somebody who can really, uh, you know, just have a conversation, right? 
there is a place and time for this but but you know as and i love what funk said he said you know and you mentioned this as well now uh that we live in a time where um this mentality of of being being a victim or being somebody who's just you know um let's stop talking about facts let's start talking about emotions and yet both do have they do have applicability in a time and place but in the proper setting for yeah. example you know i was i was raised where you know if somebody grow, if a grown up says you something you shut up out of respect yeah right yeah. so i learned this and i remember when i was in school the the older guys and the gals that we were so terrified just scared because they're the older ones right yeah, so we're yeah. respecting the elderly and 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 when i talked to funk he said you know he, I don't know where he got the statistic from, but I think it's true because I've seen, uh, or just there is some merit to it because I've seen some article online about it, that the national or just the the level of testosterone in men is at its lowest ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because it's so it's it's bad to be masculine. It's bad to be a man, and all, all that kind of stuff, and and it's fluff. And so I'm like, wow. Even even when you take care how am I supposed to take care of my brother now by crying every day or you know yeah. um, going to my brother visiting him we we visit him in the hospital daily now the the family you know we always uh, one person goes the other day then the next day it's me and you know we're four and two parents and I, when I was uh, when I visited him on Saturday I made up my mind because the first time the first two times I visited him I was like you got to push through you got to do it blah, blah, blah. and there's no you know it's not a decision it's not you know he was like this and I'm sitting next to him like it's not a decision brother you can't make a decision if you want to or not your kids are waiting your family's waiting we are waiting so you got to push through and he had some serious injuries and still has so on Saturday, I visited him and I made up my mind. I was like, I'm just going to talk to him like he was awake. Yeah. So I sat next to him. I was like, hey, it was the first time I shot a gun today, brother. It was awesome. <laughs> An AR-15, a Glock. And I told him everything. Yeah, yeah. And how am I, how am I supposed to uh, make up my mind or just man up if, if I think I'm, I'm such an emotional catastrophe every day, right? Yeah, so if you... If you... Like language is so important. Like my, so my son is, is not one yet, but he climbs up the stairs. You know, he's been climbing up the stairs since he was, since he was tiny. And you have this thing where he's, he starts losing concentration mm -hmm. and he's going to fall down the stairs. And I'm right mm -hmm. behind him. Like a few times he's gone up there without anybody realizing because the stair gate was open. But um, instead of saying to him, be careful, be careful, you know, it's like concentrate focus you know so it's the, it's this um i love it and this this when it. someone so this guy steve who was blind you know so i would joke i'd say not only is he blind he's ginger and um <laughs> and and people would be like people would start laughing they'd be like oh no i can't laugh because he's blind and he's like why just talk to him like a normal human being yeah but it's the same yeah. as when people put this voice on like are you okay you're like it's yeah. just kind of like same. you know it's same. a classic thing is you get a child a completely 10 year old child and you say, are you okay? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, yeah. Are you sure you're okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. No, tell me, are you really okay? And they're like, well, there's this, you know, there's a bully at school or whatever. And just like, oh, shut up, you know, like. <laughs> so it's, um, I had, I had, a, I had a, a, for like five years ago, when I was someone who had had a really bad climbing accident and they were paraplegic. Wow. And, you know, it's a, you know, like it's, the, so through hair, I met a lot of people who are paraplegic in like, 
motorbike accidents, climbing accidents, paragliding. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the thing is, like, none of them ever had any pity, self-pity. You know, they mm -hmm. were, like, the toughest people. They were, like, I would say they were super abled. You know, they wow, just, you know, there's abled. all these people walk, walk, walking around who are completely, there's nothing wrong with them. Oh, yeah. And yet they're, they're desperate to find some some kind of weakness. But when you see, like, every now and again, you would see, like, a, like you know, if you're paraplegic, you're living in this, like, living hell. And you might be able to fake it to make it that everything's okay. But really, you're just dealing with so much, you know, you're in mourning for yourself, your mm -hmm. life, your former life. Mm -hmm. And um, but it teaches you, like, don't pity other people and don't pity yourself because it's a completely pointless exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, you're robbing, you're robbing that person. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when someone wants to say so you're the classic thing, if you're in a wheelchair, they hit, no one wants to be pushed. You know, you want to be able to push yourself and have kind of yeah. independence. Yeah. So you'll always have people saying, oh, we're going to take you and we're going to carry you to the top of this mountain. You know, like the local karate club will be, we're going to carry you to the top of this mountain. And you'd be like, why do you want to do that? Like, is it about, is it about you or is it about them? Do they want to be carried up there? We asked them, oh, we're going to put this, the first, you know, like colorblind lesbian, you know, on top of K2 or something. It's like, do they, have we asked anybody who's colorblind if they want to go up there? Or, so... You, you end up having, you need to have more respect for people and respect for mm -hmm. yourself and just treat people, just talk mm -hmm. to them. Almost like, you know, like children, if they see someone who's paraplegic and they're in a wheelchair, they'd be like, if I got a knife and stabbed you in the leg, would you feel it? <laughs> it's the, it's, you know, kids are, kids are so real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's probably, yeah, you're probably sitting in the wheelchair like, wow, finally, that, that, I like this question. You're treating me like, you know, you're treating me like, like, like a real human being. Yeah, I'm just sitting here. Yeah, I probably don't feel it. No. Well, same with your brother. Your brother like, what, you know, you're, you've got, you've basically got this mountain to climb, mm -hmm. but you just have to, you know, if you go and talk to someone who's in a coma, like I knew someone who had a, who was an avalanche, he had been in a coma for a long time. And he could hear every single thing that was going on in that room. Wow. Even though everyone thought he was unconscious, he could hear yeah. every word every time yeah. the doctor came in. Yeah. If someone's like whispering or like, you know, like crying, that's just the worst, the worst mm -hmm. thing, really. It's, um, mm -hmm. I don't know if, it, like, I remember my parents hearing my parents crying. Mm -hmm. You know, th those things will remain with you for the rest of your life because mm -hmm. that's not what you want to hear. You want to hear mm -hmm. someone saying, you know, basically, you know, just get get yourself together or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll give you yeah. some time, but, you know, it's... Yeah. And that, yeah, that's that's what I was really making. It. It's yeah, you're 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 just confirming my my initial thoughts because you know where I saw it with the with the nurses, uh, and the nurses doing a great job, and he's in the ICU, right? So uh, there's you know all these tubes and stuff, and so the nurses treat him like, yeah, like a grown human being. You know, yeah. I, I was it was so funny because I was sitting right next to him. I was talking to him and then the nurse bent over and she said, I, I have to ask your brother a question. I was like, yeah, yeah, keep going. And she's like, uh, Jimmy, um, do you want blah, blah, blah? And he's like in his delirium, right? Uh, and he's like, Jimmy, I've asked you a question. So then, and he's awake. So he starts nodding. And that stuck with me. I was like, see, yeah. if, if, if you talk to a grown man or a, gr a grown person, and this person doesn't answer you it's just out of uh, uh, out of habit you'd be like hey uh, did you did you hear what i was saying 
Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, my initial reaction was like, hey, maybe, you know, he's filled with medication. He, he can't listen. No, nah, she was like, hey, I've asked you something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I loved it. I was like, okay, that's how that's how I got to treat my brother. But hey, Andy, um, just I, I I've uh, written a lot of notes. I just have a few more questions. And and one thing that I just want to pivot back to is when you were uh, saying um, the 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 idea of in, in, incompetence, or just saying that um, you you engage with it. I think you've built some resilience, but you're like there's always room to grow, right? So yeah. you treat that level. And the beautiful thing is the more I talk to people like you, professionals and experts, the more I learn. Yet at the same time, sometimes I tell myself, wow, actually, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Because all these different, uh, I hear the same concepts in different wording. That's what I've said many times in, in these parts. But it just opens up my horizon so much that that I'm kind of, I've stopped thinking like, oh, I'm so such a much, or I'm so good at this, I'm so good at that. It's, it's, you really, it's, it's a leveling experience, which I really enjoy. And, it I guess it decelerates. You go from being an, an amateur, you know, like a complete novice, and then you, you know, you, you rapidly can learn a lot of skills. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what's that thing, the Bruce Lee thing about, I'm more afraid of someone who, who's, practice one kick 5,000 times or something. There's uh Yeah, that great. Oh, I love it. He says, I love it. He says, I'm more scared of the person who practiced one kick 10,000 times than the person who practiced 10,000 kicks once. <laughs> well, so I think I'd rather, instead of sleeping with, instead of making love to a thousand women, I'd rather make love to one woman who loved me or something. There's something, yeah, there's something like this, yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy, um, the kettle kettlebell thing. Now, you know what I love when I talk to you guys is most of the times we just have a beautiful conversation where the kettlebell sometimes <laughs> jumps in. With Funk, it was the same. I, I, I love it. And my question about kettlebells. Now, you mentioned how you are engaging with kettlebells with some, you know, you, you just want to get the basics done. You just want to get a sweat in, uh, want to get uh, do some practice, get a workout in. And how practical are kettlebells to mountaineering where do you see the applications of kettlebells i think uh, for me I, I feel it's very good for your flexibility it's, it's good for your strength your stamina your flexibility like if you're doing um you know loads of uh goblet squats and things and you you, you like climbers are notorious for just being very good at pulling in the end of we end up with the, their shoulders are kind of hunched around and mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think that I think that using the kettlebell to avoid injury and and focusing less on this is going to make me a better climber it's going to make you a better person basically you're going to be more mm. indestructible you're going to have less injuries you're going to men mentally like because climbing like here in the west of Ireland it rains almost every day mm -hmm. there's very little climbing going on. So you could just go crazy because you just want to go climbing, and but you know you go out there and you do your you do your thing and you're you know it's like again it's like money in the bank like I've done something today something physical yeah now I can do now I can do something else and you just have that you know if you if you start missing a day like I had a, I had a cold recently and I just I didn't because I had this I remember I had somebody who I knew who uh, trained through having a cold and he got like um, uh, yeah, what do you call it. Um, uh, 
you know, he got no energy. What's it called? Um, <laughs> I can't remember the word. But basically, basically, he was just like, he just ruined his, you know, the next six months of his life. He had some oh, viral, really? Viral wow. Just, just, I'll just train through it. And wow. what happened? He just got, um, yeah, what do you call it? ME kind of, you know, kind of thing. Um, mm. So, so I'm always really, I'm always really conscious of that. I often think, wow. I often find if you, if I start training quite hard, I'll, let, I'll generally get ill. Uh, it's almost like mm. I'm lowering my immunity, and um, and you'll. So I'm always, I'm always kind of wary of that because often you'll get ill just before you're going to go away, and then you won't be doing any training, and then you'll go away. And and there is an element of you get fit. Like I went to went to try and climb Denali in Alaska in winter, uh, like was that two two years ago. So you know you're on this mountain. There's no one there in winter. It's minus fifty on the summit. It's like minus fifty. Oh my and, god. Um, and we're on the mountain for two months. And for like two weeks, we spent two weeks in a snow hole. We didn't go. We didn't go anywhere for two weeks. You're up, you know, on this mountain, and wow. it's very hard if you if you go in that snow hole, feeling you know super fit, super strong. If you lay in a sleeping bag for two weeks, you feel like being in hospital for two weeks. You know, you'll come out. You'll wow. feel terrible. And I remember at the end, we got we we basically got to the high camp, which is like uh, seventeen thousand feet. And we just, my wife, it's just me and my wife. My wife got like carbon monoxide poisoning, um, and and we just, we just almost, we just pushed it to, you know, we we didn't have much food left, didn't have much fuel left. It's like we have to, yes, we may be able to get to the top tomorrow, but we still have to get all the way back down again and all this kind of. I'm just like, it's not going to happen. So we turned around, and when we got all the way back to the base, the hel- the plane couldn't come because the weather was bad. Oh wow! We stuck, we, we stuck for eight days. We had, no, we had no food for eight days at the end. Wow. And, um, and I just laid, I, did, I didn't get out of my sleeping bag for eight days, just laid there, just pissing in a pissing in a cup, you know. We had tea, we had tea bags, but that was it. And my wife, she's very physical. She was doing like pull-ups and, no, she's doing like sit-ups. I'm like, don't waste your energy. You know, you just, we, we don't know how long we're going to be here. We've got no food, whatever. Anyway, so eventually on the eighth day, they're like, we're going to try and get in. The plane's going to try and get in. And the... The Air Force were going to try and drop a, a parachute with a GPS, some from high altitude or something. The idea that it would land, you know, within a football pitch of those, where we were, and it'd have some food in there. But luckily, on this last day, the plane managed to come in. And Vanessa was like, "One minute you laid there for like eight days. Next, she was like, quick, the plane's coming. You know, quick, pack up." And I remember just like being absolutely exhausted. Well, I'd not had any food for eight days. Yeah, it was definitely. You were so wasted. You're trying to drag. The bags over to the where the plane so the plane lands on the on the glacier trying to drag this thing and you can literally walk five steps and you're just out of breath and it just made, wow. it just made, you, made you realize that you can do all this training and get super fit and run upstairs and everything else but it's you know you, you just get worn down by the by the mountain really like most people wow. if you see them at the end they look you know they've lost loads of weight and they're you know it's it's wow. uh, it's a tough. <laughs> so, so, so you were stuck in that. Uh, you, you call it a snow hole. Uh, so you just it, yeah, you just dig a because it's so cold. Ah, you gotta dig it. You gotta yeah, dig you yourself dig a hole. Dig into the mountain, yeah. And mm-hmm. slowly it starts like coming coming down over the over the days. We had to use the same snow hole on the way back down the mountain, and it was you know it was probably like this. You could just squeeze into it. Oh god. So uh, yeah, it was, it's kind of a you know you hope there's no earthquakes. There's quite a lot of earthquakes in Alaska, so you just. <laughs> wow just listening to it, it's it's so fascinating but i just get the chills thinking oh my god so it's like okay you're stuck in there so you 
you really you didn't move you were in your bag for eight days straight yeah. so that's no, no no going to no having a crap or anything you just laid there because you're already your body after two months on the mountain your body is in deficit already you know you're you'll feel you'll feel like the change in your body like your your cheeks will be sticking out and everything you know, called the death face yeah yeah oh my and, god um, you don't feel you don't feel healthy if you know what i mean <laughs> you're not like oh look at me i'm like i'm really <laughs> look at uh, me. <laughs> you know? and, and, and the weird thing is also the weight goes back on so quickly like your body you know i, I think that this, this is kind of proven you know when people lose a lot of weight really quickly they'll just always put it all back on again you mm -hmm. know it's a very mm -hmm. bad kind of cycle of, <laughs> to mm -hmm. get into but, um, yeah, you so, know, but, so, but I think it's it's just putting one foot in front of the other. So you don't have to be phenomenally fit to to do it. Because there's so many other elements, as the weather and and often if someone's like an amazing athlete, they just couldn't stand being in a snow hole for like two weeks. They would just go crazy. Yeah. So you have to have that ability to to you know just lay there. You know, someone yeah, it's the mental. Days, yeah, the mental. I mean, the mental game I, that, that's what i that's what i was always thinking the mental game of really being able to survive and i mean 160 plus hours not doing not doing anything waiting and and hoping that even the plane and that stuff that that it all comes down together that wow so that and and wow that that's just that's a completely different but yet at the same time um do you still think hey I, you, I want to go on a mountaineering trip, you know, it's guided and everything. Do you still think you have to do some work prior with kettlebells yeah. or whatever to yeah. really make it? Just build build some sort of general physical um, uh, uh, situation where you're like able to really push through it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Again, I guess it's that same thing is that you take, you just take it for granted. Like I've, I have guided people. Who looked kind of fit, but they would literally just like almost like go unconscious, you know, because of the, you, you know, the be, be a rope would stuck, a rope would get stuck, and you'd be like, you got to go down there and sort that rope out, and they would abseil down and climb back up again, and the rope would get stuck again, and you got to go back down and sort that rope out, and they would, they would literally just kind of just flake because the, you know, just the amount of um, the the amount of work that we've been asked to to do was. Mm -hmm was more than they were used to. Whereas I say, like, if you was a, if you were a builder, you know, you were on a building site, you'd probably be much better at doing that kind yeah. of intensity of, uh, I love it. Of, of, of kind of labor, really. Like people, if you get people who've been in the military, they're generally very good at like carrying things because that's kind of what they're trained to do is, so if you want to carry all your gear to the base of the climb, they're very, very good. But then when you're not in the, but then they often get more um, anxious you think they'd be really, really brave, but but they're kind of out of their, their comfort zone. They're like on a, on the side of a mountain, mm -hmm. which is kind of different from being in a mm -hmm. you know on in a, if you're in a if you're in like a war fighting situation, you know everything is basically do this, you know, yeah. Get, yeah. get up, run, get back down, get up, yeah. run, all these yeah. kind of things. But if you're in a situation where you don't really have you, you don't have anything written down what to do, you know, so then you have to create this kind of bubble where you like just do these things. You must always be attached to two things at all times. You know, don't, don't stick to the basics. That, yeah, yeah. Don't eat the wow. snow, all that kind of stuff. So. Wow, this is so powerful. 
Wow, it's and I love it. Super able apps, uh, great notes. It's so interesting how uh, you know we have this concept or we have this uh, notion um, of of mountaineering or or just climbing, and then uh, you know you talk to an actual expert, then it's like wow, it's actually <laughs> not completely, but there's some aspects that that you didn't even think about. And one one last thing that I really uh, want to ask is. Um, I have seen, and you've mentioned this now twice in our conversation, I have seen from 60 Minutes Australia, I think, it was where this one guy was taking him and his wife, they were going to Mount Everest. And so um, then he shares the whole story of how, and I think right short of the top, it wasn't very far, but I think once you're on top, every every step is like, 100 meters running or something because the the oxygen is so thin yeah and, yeah which i do understand the concept of it you know and and then she stopped short of it and she said well you go up there make it and then come back and take me down so that's what he did he comes back to the site and his wife died yeah and so the comments were filled like Hey, bro, why, why didn't you take your wife down? Now, you mentioned this twice in a conversation, like, hey, stop it. Let's just leave and, and go down because he said, we got to go down again. So you need that energy. So what do you think would have been the proper solution for, you know, for somebody who is in a situation like this? Go to the top or, you know, take your wife down, stop everything right short at the top. And yeah, <laughs> oh, it's, so, it's so hard to second guess. Do you know, mm. you know, like Sully, where he landed the plane in the Hudson, you know, the pilot. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, you, you know, how you can't second guess what he did because it turned out well. But if he'd like crashed that into a bridge and everyone oh, died yes. and the bridge had fallen down, people were like, that guy, he was a complete, you know, crazy man. And I think it's the same. There's so many, there's so many, you know, if you imagine, you know, people always talk about Russian roulette as if we have like a gun that's got like six chambers with one bullet in it. But every day we have like a, a, you know, a revolver with like a thousand chambers and a, and a certain amount of bullets in there that we don't, we're not really sure what they are. But, mm. you know, just going in, the sh just driving, you know, driving down the yeah. road here. Yeah. Uh, like in Ireland, the roads are dangerous because lots of Americans who are always driving on the wrong, <laughs> wrong side. They're always, they're always going to either like the, the, the gravestone of the great, great, great granddad. And oh, my God. They end up in their own grave. So, but, you know, you, there's all these unknown things. Um, now, you know, people in your life who, were, who played they played it safe their whole life and then they just get like a brain aneurysm and they drop down dead. And there's other people who just live it. They just they just cane so many drugs and they, they drink so much and they have so much unprotected sex. They just like live as if they're going to die tomorrow. Yeah. And then they're like they're like 50 years old and, you yeah. know, and they survive everything. They yeah. survive. And it's mm -hmm. um, so we're just not aware of what's going on so that guy going to everest like i think like if you it's it's, it's, yeah, it's very difficult because you know so many people who i guess it's I guess it's really understanding the people you're with like is it are you making this decision on my behalf like mm -hmm. i'm going to stay here and sacrifice my life potentially because i really want because i love you so much i want you got you wanted to go to the top mm -hmm. you really have to be in tune with the people around you to know that like you know, this person is actually struggling here, you know, mm -hmm. like you're you're about to go into the most extreme situation you've ever had in your entire life, physically, mm -hmm. mentally, you know, the danger levels are so high. Do you want to go into that situation with someone 
who can barely put one foot in front of the other. Um, mm. Like I had a friend of mine who was, he went to Everest and he was like, I'm going to do that oxygen. You know, I'm, I'm, all these people are all tourists. I'm a proper mountaineer. And he said <laughs> that once he, got up, once he got up to the, the last day, he said he thought that if he took his mask off, he just dropped down dead. You know, he just wow. said like he would, he would take a breath, take like five steps. Then he'd be like, <gasps> wow. So he, he said that it's very, you know, and often you in, ext- in extremis, I can, I can think to events with my wife who, where she could have died in situations that happened. And like when we once climbed El Capitan and she was just, we were literally, I was on the top of El Capitan and she was just underneath the, the, the top. So it's like a 900 meter drop to the ground mm-hmm. it's, it's in the pitch dark. And I'm on this like slab of rock up here and she's down here. And our bags with all our water and equip, bivy equipment just got stuck underneath the very last part of the wall. And this is like mid, this is midnight, we're tired, everything else. And I was, she was trying to sort it out. And just suddenly from nowhere, there was just this, this storm just hit. And the top of El Cap is like a big, um, it's like a big, it's like a big dome. So this water just started hitting this thing, like you know, like a, a downpour. And within a minute, there was this waterfall coming oh down God. past me, then going over the edge. And she, and it was, it was some kind of storm that came down from Alaska. So it was this like freezing cold water, and everything started freezing your ropes and everything else. And she was like stuck down there, and it was just, it was, and it not, you know, like all these things where you. Like my feet were slipping. You know, you're trying to haul everything up, but your feet start slipping, and everything just goes wrong. You know, everything you've done in your life, all your training, all the things you thought you would do, nothing, that nothing works. Mm-hmm. And it just was down to hair to somehow climb up, get over the top, and just to, you know, get this get this bag up. But that's a good example of um, strength. Is that instead of like fiddling with these pulleys and these clamps on the rope you just physically grab hold of this rope with this bag that maybe weighs like 50 kilos oh my you start god pulling you start pulling up with your hands yeah because nothing else is going to work so sometimes you'll have these moments where you've done all this kind of strength training in your life and you'll just have this like incredible hulk moment yeah. where you'll call on all that all that strength training. yeah <laughs> you know to just physically like so you know so i had, I had to piggyback someone down from el cap you weighed like 75 kilos. Wow. You know, so for like nine hours with someone on your back, picking, piggybacking them down, you know, but yet you probably won't be able to do like a bodyweight deadlift. You know, definitely not at the end anyway. Uh, yeah, but, most definitely. But you know, but, you, yeah. you, but people can like, can pull on a, can draw on some kind of strength. You know, people, when they get their arm, you know, their arm gets trapped in the machinery and they just like, Sew it off or something. Yeah. Have an like like that, like that dude from from uh, 128 hours or wh- yeah, yeah, who had to solve. I, I have a friend. He was in a he was in a yacht with his son, and the the lobster pot got caught on the propeller, and he he put his arm down to pull the uh, the lobster pot off, and as he pulled it, the propeller started going round and caught the wrist of his jacket, and it twisted his arm around, and basically twisted his arm right arm oh off my God. and he pulled his pulled his arm up and his arm was hanging out of the sleeve and he just said to his son i think my, i've just pulled my arm off like like quick <laughs> ring the coast guard so he rang the coast guard his you know his son's like 12 or something he's like my dad's arm just got pulled off and they're like oh it's too foggy too foggy to send a helicopter 
need to get to the to the the shore or something. Anyway, so he get so but he's got, he said he had no pain whatsoever. He was just in shock. Yeah. He was just like, I'm gonna die if I Adrenaline, don't Adrenaline, yeah. You know, so they, they get into the shore, this helicopter comes, they get into the helicopter, starts flying to the nearest city to, to try and sew his arm back on. Again, there's too much fog. We can't get to the city, we have to land in a field. Helicopter uh, ambulance comes out. Anyway, still still no pain whatsoever. They drive him they're going into the hospital in the A and E department, and he hears on the tannoy like Dr. So-and-so, the uh, amputee has arrived. And he was thinking like, oh my God, that poor, some poor guy must have had a really bad accident, not realizing it was him. Oh no. And they put him into the operating theater and he was still conscious. And they said, this is really gonna hurt. And they just poured like a bucket of ice onto, onto the stump of his arm. And he just went unconscious. And uh, that was the oh, first God. time he felt any pain. So <laughs> he managed to throw his arm back out again. Oh anyway, my god! A very impressive scar, but but that that ability for people in extremis mm -hmm. to find this amazing mm. strength. Maybe it's the fighting the baboon. Strength. <laughs> fighting the baboon. I gotta tell this my brother. The next time I see him, is like, brother, you gotta fight your own baboon now. Because <laughs> your, your brother, your brother is in this. He's like the ultimate fight, isn't yeah. it? But it's yeah. literally. You know, don't you know? Sometimes you can be. You can end up so so beaten down and weak because of whatever mm. you know that like you know if the wind just blew on me now i'll just die mm -hmm. you know you're so exposed mm -hmm. and um like i know a lot lots of people where they they thought they were going to die of exposure and suddenly they just saw like the sun start coming up you know just that just those that ray of sun was just enough you know, to spot they're so close to dying and it just brings wow. them back up again so i, I would have thought you know, people who have these, the bodies are kind of completely broken. You are in like a like a baby state, aren't you? Really, you mm -hmm. can see your children like every day. They get a little bit stronger, and they mm -hmm. can, you know, they start to be able to move their hands, and they can move mm -hmm. their head, and they can mm -hmm. crawl, and they can walk, and then before you know it, they're like, you know, stealing cars and mm -hmm. <laughs> stealing cars. <laughs> you know, it's the same. Um, how I describe it in the way is. Uh, now even talking to you that gives me a lot of courage and strength again because it's like for my brother it's the same when i think when somebody f picks up a kettlebell for the first time and then um, i know that you're going to learn it because i've learned it as well yes maybe somebody takes a little longer some folks might learn it faster but you will get there just yeah. trust the system and give it some time so that's that concept of trusting the system that people can learn this highly complex movements and really build the skill and even hearing from people in these real true life and death situations where they really were able to push through so that's my in, in my brother's case i was i had this inner conviction that we heard that they were able to stop the bleeding in the hips and that he's critical but he's somehow stable in the icu at that moment i i just in in, in that night of despair when we heard about the accident the only thing that I was wishing for was that he's just making it to the ICU. That, yeah. That's the first thing, because if he dies, then, then it's done. Then yeah, yeah. Then it's, it's game over. But he's still in the game. So as soon as I realized he's still in the game, I was like, okay, there came up some kind of inner conviction that he can push through as long as we are guiding him and we're supporting him as much as we can. And he has a lot of reasons to fight. I know him. Yeah. And even though he's not as physically fit, 
he is it seems like he's he's really pushing through on a very doc, doctors are very optimistic looks very good and that's just that 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 idea that that mental game where where you're forced to really draw all that money in the bank uh, how you say it you really got got to take it all out go to the atm and say how much you want all of it <laughs> and then walk with it oh, it's, it's powerful you always have to leave it's a bit like um i always tell, I always tell people you always have to leave a bit of water in the bottle you know when you oh, I love it. when you're in the desert or whatever you know because once you drink that last drink you are 10 times more thirstier than just knowing it's there. Wow. Oh, I love this. Leave some water in the bottle. You know, in, when, in training, we say always leave some energy in the tank. Yeah, yeah. Don't bust it out. It's not if you feel like, okay, I can still go. Yeah, but park the bell. You're safe. Yeah. Yeah, but I can yeah. still, no, save it for the next round or for the next workout. Oh, yeah, yeah. leave some <laughs> water in the bottle because you get thirstier if it's all gone. I love it, Andy. As a final note, I just wanna—I just wanna ask: How did you? How did you see our channel? How did you uh, get wind of, wind of us of, of our kettlebell uh, game? How we do it? I guess you must have just come up on some kind of alg algorithm somewhere. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. You must, be, you must be doing something well. Um, awesome. It's, often, it's weird because often I'll watch one of your videos and you'll be like commentating on somebody else, and mm -hmm. um, and then they'll start coming up as well. Uh, who's the woman in New Zealand? Um, she like there's a New Zealand woman like she keeps coming up at the moment as well but um yeah I, th I just I just think you're I think I'm always wanting you know if you go back and you look at I always call him Pavel Tatooine because I can never remember his the Tatooine <laughs> I love it Pavel Tatooine from Star Wars I love it I remember I remember like buying his you know when his books first came out you know the first uh, what would it be like Power to the People or something yeah Mm -hmm. like I remember getting that, you know, this is before Amazon, you know, it literally, mm. I, don't, I, I can't remember, like some uh, Borders bookshop in America or something. Mm -hmm. I remember reading it and just thinking like, I just loved the style of the way he was writing. And then it's kind of interesting, you know, you kind of end up with these kind of heroes, you know, like like people who, you know, you, you want to be thinking like if something, what would what would Pavel do? You know, if you have a mm -hmm. crisis in your life, mm -hmm. what, what would Pavel do? Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> which is weird because people often say like, they think, what would I do? <laughs> yeah, you get to a level where people think that. What would Andy do? Yeah, I love it. But, um, but, but you know, now you go and look at like a, a video of Pavel, one of his early videos, and it's like, that's it's terrible. The technique is terrible. Mm -hmm. It's really sloppy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if, if, you know, people would say that guy's an amateur now, because mm -hmm. the the this kettlebell has progressed yeah. so so far, you know, yeah. like and Pavel has helped to progress it as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, because that's one thing about YouTube is that like, it's there forever. Like I've got some yeah. videos on YouTube of me talking. Oh, there's like a TED talk somewhere, but I'm just talking so quickly. I don't know. It's like <laughs> if someone's going to book you to do a talk, they'd be like, "This guy's an idiot." Like that's not. Get <laughs> yeah, it's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's yeah, there yeah. forever. So, um, but I just think whenever whenever i'm gonna whenever i'm just always interested in how it how it's progressing you mm -hmm. know like what's the current you know, so like I, I would just be doing you know very basic kettlebell kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then this kind of the idea of like hard style kettlebell mm -hmm. or you know it's like well what's what's what is that and mm -hmm. uh, but i think the way you i think you talk about freestyle 
I think that is the that is yeah. kind oh, of that, that's also a great description. I call it hybrid, but yeah, I love yeah, the yeah. freestyle. Freestyle. Well, like if you awesome. if you ever into like I used to, I used to break dancing when I was yeah 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 freestyle you know, when, I was, when I was a kid and um, <laughs> yeah me too and it, awesome but you know like everyone who was break dancing would have their own kind of style yeah and yeah. It, and it would just be it's your style and it works yeah. you can yeah. do a windmill you can yeah. spin on your head or whatever you know you can mm -hmm. that's your style and I think often if you're trying to force it that you know the um what do you call it the uh the sinister and uh, simple and sinister you yeah. know like the, like doing i always find doing like a, a one-arm kettlebell swing on on this arm for some reason is just weird and i don't know if i've got some past injury or there's something mm -hmm. like i did i think i did break my collarbone uh mm -hmm. <laughs> i wasn't quite sure but there's something <laughs> got broken up here and okay. you know so you have to start like a if you you know when you're really conscious you know like i need to have my arm like this or do i have my arm like this or do i have my arm and often you then you're thinking about your breathing like yeah you're trying to do too much at the same time yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. you just mm -hmm. focus on one thing yeah so you know like the, the classic ten thousand kettlebells like you know so mm -hmm. i would do like 300 swing 330 swings every day mm -hmm. for like a month and i would just try and focus on one thing so i would just try and focus on the breathing in that, that, that you know and, and then awesome. through my nose great yeah you know and, and then and then when i really felt like i mastered that one thing the breathing then i would try and like have my arm in a certain certain way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just instead of trying to become like good at it in a week or like in one session you really have to put that that time in and then slowly you're like actually this is solid this is a solid yeah you know solid yeah. uh you know and now and now that'll play into doing something else yes you know most like definitely you, and you know you're not banging your arms and you're not you know you you've not consciously you're not sort of like cleaning the kettlebell and but you just naturally have ended up in a way where it feels solid yeah, you control yeah, yeah. You, you you're able to control it i think what uh you're mentioning so many great things about um you're saying just take it one step at a time or focus on one skill because there's multiple skills that you have to understand when you when you see a swing for example and and there's multiple assets and phases that you have to understand and i learned this also from from a, from dennis vazilev who is in 12 i think 12 time now world uh, kettlebell world champion and he said um, when you focus on training, when, when, when you are focused on a very complex move, for example, the long cycle clean and jerk with two kettlebells, then he said, um, just focus on one thing. Focus on racking the bell solid. Yeah. That's just one thing. Like you do it. Once you mastered it, then you work to the next one. Okay, maybe it's your breathing, maybe it's your whatever. So what you're doing is actually what is recommended. And with Pavel, you know what I love? There's so many great people around Pavel who helped him um, place the kettlebell or put the kettlebell on the map. For example, Steve Maxwell, he, he came up with the idea to build the Turkish getup in the curriculum of RKC back then, which was coined hard style because it's that style of, that Pavel used, which is just general fitness with kettlebells. And, and, and then Dan, Jan, Dan John came up and he was like, hey, we got to do a proper squat because he said the way you guys are squatting it's, it's not working. So we came yeah. up with the goblet squats. So we have all these great people. And we have to even imagine the kettlebell is only 20 years young in, in the West. In the West. My dad, when my dad, um, so he trained to be physical training instructor in the 60s. 
And he once came to my house and there was a kettlebell. And he was wow. like, well, we used to have those in the 60s. Wow. In Scot- and, and apparently the, in Scotland, you know, they used to use them. You know, if you had like loads of grain, you had these huge weights and they used to put the kettlebell on the, yeah. on the grain. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of weird. He was like scale weights. Oh, yeah. yeah, we used to have those. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And see, you, you're confirming that that you know people are kind of like in between. Like, well, it, it was in the states, but it was also in Germany, and the kettlebell. But it was also in Scotland, as you're now saying. And I mean, the kettlebell has has a lot of history behind yeah. it. But the modern let's let's put it in chronological order the, the modern revolution or the modern reformation reformation of kettlebells was around the 2000s in the west with yeah. pavel that's yeah. why he's such a iconic figure now so and and my sensei and my coach is uh, steve cotter which worked with pavel and now through all these podcasts and through my work what i'm actually trying to do is i'm trying to combine kettlebell sport which is the original way of training with kettlebells from Russia with Pavel's idea that was developed developed in the West. And I'm just trying to put these two together and mix it because that's actually what I do and what I've learned from Steve. And so it's incredible to see how far kettlebells have come and how much potential there still is to explore. I guess it's like, a bit like MMA, isn't it? You're, you're mixing judo and yeah you know, different disciplines together yeah and i guess i guess you, you the problem with a lot of these things you have to be avoid, avoid not becoming a cult you know oh, where yeah. people are telling you this is the truth this is yeah. the one oh you're one so way right. of doing it yes so you right. do need those people who are like actually i'm doing you know you have to be also be wary of like you know what do you call it um you know people who are doing crazy stuff just for attention like i'm the new I'm the new, uh, yeah, anything for the gram. But you know, there's something to it. You know, there's two, I think there's two kinds of people. First of all, there's, there's folks who are doing it for the gram. I, yeah. I love this expression. It's for social, it's for exposure. And you hear this in MMA as well. You know, one of the coaches that I talked to, he said, I just call it stunts. For example, he said, where f- folks are hanging on a bar, all right, the, the dead man hang, and then you have people punching you. That he said that's one of the stupidest things that you can do because you're most you're solid standing on ground when you're fighting and yeah. if you don't have something on your ground your abdominals are op- you're opening up you know you're stretching your muscles it's dangerous it's not something that makes sense but it it looks good on you too right it's like sex work i think <laughs> yes and and so you have that's one thing that these are the folks who are doing stunts yeah. yet there's also we cannot forget that the kettlebell uh, traveled from scale weights into the circus and then into strongman. So there are, for example, one of these guys, his name is Viktor Blut. He's a, he's a Russian or Bud Jeffries, also a strongman. They do stuff with kettlebells that you would consider a stunt or think yeah. they're doing it for the gram when in reality it's an old school strongman circus act yeah. that they're engaging in and that is their game. They They have focused on stuff like this yeah so there's two like kinds ma- of things a mastery of it as well yeah yeah um, yeah a mastery of that stuff but but at the same time most people use it for stunts yeah and yeah. we we've now talked about it. you know a farmer's walk you said you know a farmer's walk is heavy or a prowler is heavy well it's not only heavy it's also not sexy yeah, yeah so yeah. if i tape it and film it well, what is this? You just walk around with kettlebells? Well, that's it. Well, that doesn't get a lot of views and likes. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, like but... a rook walk. You know, like you can't really do an exciting rook walk video. Yeah. 
Yeah, so then people come up with these crazy ideas to make it look good when in reality it doesn't serve anything. Yeah, yeah. And I think it probably it's in like every time in, isn't it? Again? It's just it's like putting the time in. Yeah, kind that's what it is. And no, it's not. But you know, a, even a swing, a swing is such a powerful exercise. And mastering, I, I consider it now you have three different types of swings. You have a hard style swing, a kettlebell sports swing, and something that I have dubbed now the, the hybrid swing where you're just hinging. And and these three types of swings, you can engage them for different goals, right? But just putting the time in and mastering a hard style swing takes reps and reps and reps. Understanding the, the kinesthetic ch uh, chain, how to really tense your lats when the kettlebells afloat. And, and, and then really go down and pop your hips, but also make sure that you use a lot of tension, bracing your abdominals to engineer out the sheer force. And, uh, and I love what you mentioned about the heart style swing with your left arm. There yeah. may be something wrong in the shoulder or in your uh, uh, clavicle or whatever. You know, the, the funny thing is when I'm doing a heart style swing left hand, single-handed, I fear that my spine is flaring up on my left side. Yeah. All right. if, I do, if I do it on my right side, yeah. Nothing. If I do it double-handed, nothing. If I do hybrid and sport versions, nothing. It's just a hard style with left. So that tells me, my body, hey, for me, I'm think I, I think I have to step back yeah, from the yeah. exercise. I think it's a bit like, do you know if you have a complex system, like on a, um, what was it, the, on the space shuttle, you had like four computers and you had, and, and all, of, all four computers had to speak to each other. And if one mm. of them didn't agree, it would just be cut out. So if one mm. was saying like crash into that, <laughs> crash into the moon, you know, the other three would be like, no, that's not a good idea. Let's just we'll stop listening to you. <laughs> but, but that's when great. You, but when you're training, you always, you know, the, the best way to avoid getting injured is having that. Well, first of all, it's like, it's like, why is this feeling difficult? Do you know what you say about mental health? Then it's like, people will often overcomplicate it. It's like, you have a mental health problem. What are you eating? You know, oh, I'm eating lots mm -hmm. of pizzas. Well, stop eating pizzas and your mental mm -hmm. health will probably improve a lot. Or I'm just drinking mm -hmm. loads of, drinking too much. Mm -hmm. It's the same as when you're training, you know, you can be like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I didn't sleep enough last night or mm -hmm. I, had, I had too much coffee or not had any mm -hmm. breakfast. But mm -hmm. maybe it's just that you're just getting, you're just forgetting to really engage your hips or something or you're, mm -hmm. you're yeah. not breathing as deeply or, yeah. You, yeah. you know, and you always have this thing is as you're getting stronger, you're never aware of it because you're always just pushing harder. You know, you go, you go out running every day and you're like, why am I never getting, I don't, don't get any better. Like it's always hard work. And then you realize, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're, you're always back. constantly push yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Some people don't, they, they just do the minimum. <laughs> you know, other people do the maximum. And, and, and there is some, there is a place for this. We call it minimum, minimum effective dose. Yeah. When we work with people, we say the minimum effective dose for change is what most people need. Yeah. And yeah. then once you, we talked about it as, as well, once you get more elaborate in your system, I, and I love what you say, it's just maybe you're not breathing right. Maybe you're not engaging your hips. Maybe you're, you're thinking too much. That's what Dan Sean said. He said, sometimes you got to kick mo monkey brain off the ladder and just do it and yeah. wait till it comes back up. All right. And there, there's everything. There's a time, time and place for everything. Right now where I'm at in my long cycle, for example, or in my jerk is my brain is doing massive amounts of work because I have mastered a, a couple of aspects of the lift, 
which I don't have to focus on. So my brain is free that the capacity, the computing power is free to dedicate it to only one specific section. And I always think about it to to increase uh, or improve. And it just happened recently that I'm finally somewhat satisfied with my jerk after two years of training. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think I think often people you see that in, in climbing, like I once climbed El Capitan with my daughter mm-hmm. when she was thirteen, because the youngest mm. girl, to, youngest girl to climb El Cap was thirteen. So wow. people would always ask me like, when are you going to climb it with your daughter? Mm. I used to joke, I'll do it when she's thirteen. And um, anyway, so we climbed when she was thirteen, and wow. I was like, when I was training her, I always told her like, you have to. This is what you have to do to be safe, because I will always be there. You mm-hmm. might be on this rope by yourself and no one, no adult supervision. And but I, I always I always try to explain why you have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I even did things like I'd say, you know, there's the, these things are for a reason. And no matter what someone tells you to do, you must do them. Because someone mm-hmm. might, so the classic one, classic, she'd be like out of sight when we're training. And I'd say, Ella, I want you to unclip from the rope. She always had to be clipped to two things at all times. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I want you to unclip from the rope. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do it because I'll only be clipped to one thing. I'd be like, no, no, trust me, trust me. Just unclip from the rope. And she's like, no, no, because, you know, because she could see because she was she understood what was going on. Wow. As often the person down here thinks she's clipped to three things. So then ah. I'm telling you to unclip. So, so when, you, when, you, when someone's doing like, uh, so someone's doing a kettlebell swing and they're going like, and you go like, why are you making that noise? And they go like, I'm breathing through this through the shield or whatever. And I go, yeah, yeah. What does that actually mean? And like, I don't, I don't know. And like, are you actually breathing there? What are you doing? You're just making that noise. Are you actually expelling all the air out of your lungs? Oh, is that what it's for? I just thought it was, you know, that's what Pavel does. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Pavel breathing, yes. You yes. have to fundamentally and like, where's the where's where's the air going in? Because you just you're just breathing out the whole time, you know. So it's like it's it's basically understanding. Like I, I found this with base base jumpers. When you when I started when I was climbing with some base jumpers, you te- you would tell them something like how to climb up a rope. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know every single part of what was wow. going on and why wow. because the detail detail oriented people. Wow. They, like no one gets injured base jumping, you know, they just die. So so they they can't oh, afford, I love it. They can't afford to make mistakes. So it's the same as that when you. When something not something's not working, it's like, do I really understand what it means to like, you know, like hinge at my hips? Or, yeah, yeah. You know, and, it, and yeah. I guess that's why YouTube videos are good, mm-hmm. because you can find a few masters and you can mm-hmm. look at them. Like, mm-hmm. So I never, I never look up. I just keep my, I just keep my neck fixed mm-hmm. and just look down and look yeah. up like this. Yeah. I always yeah. have this thing in my head that um, maybe that's not right because other people don't don't do that. You know, people mm-hmm. are always like looking. To the horizon or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm like well it kind of it, it just kind of it just kind of works yeah and you know in some in some areas when especially when we are coaching people and we're working with with, with clients it's it's the same thing the idea is um we have a couple of fundamentals and we have a couple of 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 foundations and and principles that you want to learn and then at a certain level it may be that as as long as you follow all the the instructions and the basics and the fundamentals at the end of the day there's something called um the um oh, i just forgot it. wow I, I say it so many times um 
the law of um i just can't believe it i forgot it <laughs> but <laughs> uh, anyways people when you have 10 people doing swings then maybe it looks different yeah a anybody looks different yeah yeah but it's totally fine as long as we stick to the principles yeah. For example, do I have to stick my neck out or, or, or let it relax? We, yeah. Most of the time we say, listen, it's a good thing if you keep your spine locked. If you're in the backswing and you look up, that means your neck is flexed, right? Yeah. So your spine is not tight. But hey, if you don't do it to an e extreme extent and you feel and, and you're just kind of like this, maybe the neck's up a little bit, it's totally fine. Law of individual differences. Here it goes. Yeah. Just popped into my mind. So that's, that's totally fine. There are differences, yet, I always say when you talk to very good experts in, in the pyramid, the, on, top, on top of the pyramid, most experts agree on the fundamentals. And there may be some nuances and some differences in tiny details. Yeah. But as long as you follow the basic instructions and the fundamentals, and you develop, like we talked about, you develop your own style, it's totally fine. You think your body tells you as well? Oh, most definitely. Oh, and, and that's what a lot of coaches sometimes get wrong. We coaches, we sometimes think that I, you know, I'm giving you the instructions and then I override your body's ability and instincts to communicate with you. And we believe that we have to tell you everything. Yeah. And that's why sometimes I give, uh, not sometimes, most of the time, and 99% of the case, I teach the fundamentals and then I let it rip. It's like, okay, you now got it. We've went through some stuff. Now do it. Yeah, and yeah. then I always tell them your first swings are your worst swings. They will feel bad. They will feel awful, but just do it because your body needs some reference points now. Yeah. 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 And then we can do the adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. The, your body. Most definitely. Andy. Hey, we, conversation. Wow. <laughs> But I, I love it. I, I'm having conversations with, you know, with, with, with professionals, which I, I highly enjoy. So, Andy, I, I've learned quite a lot. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm really proud that, you know, heavyweights like you are following or checking out our stuff. That really gives me a lot of confidence that we're somehow on the right track. <laughs> it's very, very slick. It's very good. It's awesome. Thank you. And you have two books, right? Psycho Vertical is one and Cold Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. Some, I've got some more like technical, technical books as well. But yeah, they're the mm. other ones. <laughs> so which one would you it's just uh, which one? Yeah, which one would you recommend for well, because Psycho Vertical is, is the is the first one. And it kind of covers. Um, it's like every other chapter is soloing at the time was one of the hardest routes in the world, which took mm. me about 11 days. And every chapter in between is my life leading up to that climb. Oh, awesome. So, so the idea is when you get to the end, you understand why this person is, is awesome. Climbing. It's like a awesome. hundred thousand word answer to the why do you why do you do it kind of. Mm. Kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. And I, I really got to check it out. Psycho Vertical. Awesome. Are, you, are, you, are you Swiss German or? or... Yeah, my, uh, born in, in Switzerland and my father's from ex-Yugoslavia. My mother's uh, half Austrian, half German. All right. And uh, yeah. I live in Switzerland and uh, I teach kettlebells around the world now. It's, it's awesome. 
And I get to I get to talk to awesome folks like you, Andy. Oh, great. <laughs> really, really enjoyed it. The world of kettlebells is dominated by two training styles called heart style and kettlebell sport. Although vastly different in nature, they have been proven to work and give you the most bang for your buck whenever you pick up a kettlebell. If you understand them correctly and are able to differentiate between the two. If you are a beginner, this task might be understandably confusing. Enter the hybrid style and discover how to combine the best of both worlds. The Hybrid Style Masterclass is a 10-week practice-based online course that will help you take your kettlebell skills to an elite level. Made in Switzerland. Learn what's been holding you back and how to become a versatile kettlebell master without having to piece together countless YouTube videos or rely on a gym membership. The price of the Hybrid Style Masterclass is 397 US dollars per month for three months. Save 20% with a one-time payment of 997 US dollars. We'll open registration only to a small number of new students every three months. Join the waiting list now to get access 24 hours before the general public. Link is in the description.